This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Hello and welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Josh Schrader. My guest for this episode of Campus Voices is Dr. John Hibbing. With experience as an author, researcher, and scientist, Dr. Hibbing is a current political science professor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Through his education and research, Dr. Hibbing has spent a large portion of his life analyzing the deep individual differences existing across humans. He is widely known for his research on the biological and psychological correlation to political ideology. Dr. Hibbing, thank you for joining me on Campus Voices. Happy to be here, Josh. So your academic career started in Blair, Nebraska um, as an undergrad student at Dana College, and then later you went to get your master's and uh, PhD from the University of Iowa. What did your career look like right after school? For a long time, I thought I would be a coach since that just seemed like what someone interested in athletes, athletics did. But I student taught and didn't really enjoy it that much. My wife was a long time K through 12 teacher. So she said I couldn't cut the mustard and there's some truth to that. So uh, then I had to go to plan B, which was basically to go to graduate school without a lot of direction. I just thought, you know, I need to, to figure something out. But fortunately, I um, was accepted in graduate school at the University of Iowa and in the political science program. I've always been interested in politics. I struggled at first, but then uh, it turned out I wasn't too bad at it. And uh, one thing led to another. So that started my career in political science. How did your interest in political research come about then? What, what got you shifting towards the research side versus, say, like uh, being an actual politician? Hmm. Right. I, I do get that question a lot. People think that if you study politics, you must want to be a politician. But I can honestly say I never had a desire to do that. I mean, I think I respect politicians probably more than most people. I think it's a more difficult job than people imagine. But maybe for that reason, because it's so difficult, I never really had any temptation. I don't think I'd be particularly good at it. Um, you know, there's a special set of skills, um, you know, raising money, uh, being quick on your feet, glad handing, um, a lot of things that they have to put up with that I just never was tempted to, to put up with. So I was was much happier to study politics than to be involved with it. Before we dive into some specific research, tell me a little bit more about some of the research that you've kind of done in your career. To pick up the story at the University of Iowa, they kind of specialized in legislative politics, the study of Congress and things like that. So I was a, a blank slate. So I, I kind of did what my professors were interested in, and I was happy to do that. So really for the first half of my career here at Nebraska, I was more of what I would call a traditional political scientist. I studied elections and Congress and why members of Congress voted the way they did and congressional elections uh, especially was an interest of mine. Um, but then I had a bit of a, uh, a shift in my career, and I, I focused in the last half of my career more on um, political biology, political psychology, and things like that that I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in, in just a minute. But uh, really, my, I guess my interest in research came about because that's what they did, and I was happy to do that. And there were questions that I was curious about as well. I came from a fairly political family, so it, it was a natural move. So a large part of your life has been spent analyzing the individual differences existing across humans. If you could just kind of describe one of your classes here and how it's centered around one of your books that you've published, The Securitarian Personality. Well, yeah, the class you're referring to is Political Science 250. It's called Genes, Brains, and Politics. So I think the, the title of that class is fairly descriptive. And 
makes it uh, reasonably novel. It's a 200-level course, so it's it's a fairly large class uh, and reasonably popular. I wish it was because of me, but it's mostly because it's one of the few social science classes that that checks the um, the natural science box on your general education requirements, the ACE requirements. So uh, it's kind of nice to study politics, but yet be able to have enough science in it that that, that qualifies for that requirement. So, and as far as the relationship to the book, um, you know, here I need to, to maybe give you a little bit of background of what I'm doing now as, as I moved away from that more traditional congressional election kind of stage of my career. Uh, I became interested in, in the deeper motivations that people have, that individuals have, not members of Congress, but ordinary people, why they do what they do politically. So, and I thought sometimes a survey, which is a very common technique in social science research, doesn't always get at what we really want to know because sometimes people aren't really willing or capable even of telling you what's going on inside them. So I was attracted to techniques such as neuroscience, physiology, endocrinology, uh, even genetics that reveal some things about individuals that they might not be aware of. That brings us back to, to the class and your, your question. Um, what I try to do in the class is explore some of the answers that people have provided in terms of the connection between biology, psychology, and politics. And I think applying that specifically to strong Trump supporters, which is what, what my recent book does try to do, I think that's particularly interesting because they're such a, a crucial part of American politics these days and not just American politics. You know, if you look around the world, you see an amazing number of politicians who are really cut from the same cloth as Donald Trump in terms of their interests and, and therefore the interests of their followers. So I think to understand politics in the modern world, you really need to understand the kinds of individuals who are attracted to politicians like Donald Trump. A radical reinterpretation of the support for Trumpism, the securitarian personality written by you, not only provides insight into the political movement of, of Donald Trump that many find baffling and frustrating, but it offers a compelling thesis that overall observers of American political behavior will have to contend with, even if they disagree. So it wasn't necessarily anything that prompted you to study specifically Trump supporters. You mentioned it was more, you wanted to shift away from studying congressmen, congresswomen, politicians, and you wanted to kind of understand the human brain more and, and its relation to politics. Is that right? That's right. But let me introduce one kind of intermediate step in that little migration that we've described. Um, for a long time, my colleagues and I were looking at kind of the general differences between people on the political left and people on the political right. It was interesting whenever I'd give a talk about that, People would, you know, be polite, but then they, a lot of times they'd say, well, you know, there are a lot of variations among people on the right or variations among people on the left. You know, the, so they suggested we were painting with too broad a brush, and I thought they were probably right about that. So then, you know, the, the movement to focus specifically on not just conservatives generally, but Trump supporters specifically was driven by that kind of reaction. And uh, I think it's it's been rewarding. Thank you for tuning in to Campus Voices. Today, I am talking to Dr. John Hibbing, a political science professor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I've often thought about it, and specifically um, when I was taking Political Science 250, I thought about if this were the other way around. Do you think your research still would have happened around, you know, the same kind of mantra, or would it have been different? You know, it's important to recognize that Trump supporters find the behavior of those people who oppose Donald Trump equally baffling and frustrating. So, you know, there's no doubt about that. And I guess that's one of the deeper messages of my research is that there are these differences that we can't understand at the surface level. 
I, I see so many people being frustrated these days because they think if they just sit down with somebody who is different than them, like if if a non-Trump supporter sits down with a Trump supporter or vice versa, that they'll you know be able to to break through and and get them to understand why they're so wrong. Kind of maybe like the old Perry Mason shows where the perp would break down with the face and the hands and say, "I've been wrong all my life," and that's just not going to happen because. It's not just a. It's not just because, for example, Trump supporters watch Fox News or liberals watch MSNBC that they have these views. They're really coming bubbling up from very deep within us, and so I, I guess I'm hoping to get people to recognize that. That might sound like a depressing thought, and it is at one level. But on the other hand, you know, I think it, it might keep people from banging their heads against a wall, really, and, and getting so frustrated with these other individuals. Why don't they see the world like I do? Well, because they don't. They really do have a very different perception of the wor- what the world's like. And, and I guess I'd like that message to get out. Um, do you think that, you know, this, this research that you've done um, has helped you obviously understand a lot of the division or has it more so just kind of helped you understand individuals more? Both, I think, um, you know, and uh, some of the people I've been able to converse with most, I'm thinking especially my wife, who has very strong political views, um, and she is more tolerant of those people who oppose her now. So I guess that gives me a little bit of hope. But on the other hand, I don't have the opportunity to be that much, you know, in contact with other individuals. You just have to rely on a few chapters in a book. So I'm not sure. You know, that's in fact, there has been some research on what I've done, which questions whether or not we're right, that just this understanding of what the other side is like will help you. Um, You know, with regard to something like sexual orientation, there is evidence that shows that people who who realize that it is biological and deep are more tolerant of people with diverse sexual orientation. So I always thought we could apply that to politics. If you recognize that those people on the other side really do have these these basic biological inclinations and psychological tendencies that way that they might be more tolerant. Others have pointed out that that might not necessarily be. Just because it works with sexual orientation, it might not work with political orientation. So I take that point. Um, it's not that it, we know it's wrong, but we don't know it's right for sure. So I think that's something that that really needs to be looked at in the future is, is how people respond to this kind of message. Do you believe that that if more people were aware of your findings of um, the po- potential biological differences between us and, and others around us, our our political climate wouldn't be so divided? Yeah, well, I think that's uh, you know what, what we talked about a little bit there a minute ago with uh, regard to whether sexual orientation and political orientation are the same thing. And so I um, I've made the claim that it will, and that that if we do appreciate the depth of political differences, we won't be quite so frustrated. I think. To be fair, the jury is still out on that. We need to kind of do more studies to see how people respond in a political context as opposed to the sexual orientation context. So you mentioned retirement's coming for you. Do you think you will get to kind of see some of that play out? What is what is your research? Is it going in a certain way? Has anyone picked it up and kind of wanting to kind of do more, learn more? Or what is that looking like after, you know, you retire? There is a focus on... Um, I mean, clearly the the driving motivation of a lot of Trump supporters does center around things like immigration and gun control. So this is why I, I called the book The Securitarian Personality, because I think security is really at the core of this, whereas a lot of previous analyses of the Trump movement emphasized authority, that these individuals loved to be told what to do, and they had an authoritarian personality. And I just that never struck me as being accurate. That's true of Trump supporters more broadly. 
So I think we need to appreciate that. We certainly saw that on January 6th. You know, it, I don't know how you could look at that and say that, that these are individuals who crave to be told what to do. They were reacting against authority figures. We saw the same thing with regard to COVID mitigation strategies. They didn't like to be told what to do. So I, I think that's an important reframing of what Trump supporters are all about. We need to appreciate that what they really want is to preserve their own security and the security of what they see as the core of America, you know, whether that be the traditional religion, traditional race, traditional sexual orientation. You've got this the cultural values. These things are out the middle and they see that as under attack. And it's very important to them to fend those attacks off. So to kind of wrap up here, um, I, I just... I'm curious if you have, you know, after all this research you've done over the years, being involved with co-authoring and authoring your own books and speaking to people here and there, what do you, what is your ultimate wish or hope after your retirement, after you kind of step back from from the political research and, and you know education side of things? Well, first of all, you're right to to bring up working with other people, my co-authors. One of the really fortunate things for me as I moved into these areas of biology and psychology was that I got to, to meet and, and work with people who knew a lot about neuroscience or genetics, physiology, or endocrinology. So that's, that really did stimulate uh, me in a lot of ways to, to be able to work with those individuals. As far as the future of democracy, I do worry. I, I wish I could send you a different message in closing, but no, I think, I think we're very vulnerable. Democracy is a hard thing to like because most of us are oriented. I mean, if I'm correct regarding what I said just a few moments ago, that, that this division between people who really want to embrace outsiders and welcome them and people who want to keep outsiders at arm's length, if that's the fundamental division, you know, I think that's going to be very hard to get around. And you have people who they're willing to sacrifice anything with regard to democracy in order to get their way. So I think we need to convince people that those substantive outcomes really are less important than maintaining these options that are present only when we have a democratic form of government where we respect the outcome of, uh, of things, even if we dislike it. I wasn't really keen on the, the Trump opponents who said he's not my president after the 2016 election. I understand the logic and I understand what they're saying, you know, that I, I don't support this guy, but he is our president. He was. He won the Electoral College. And I certainly don't understand what's happened after the 2020 election, especially after January 6th, with that kind of blatant disregard for, for the outcome of an election. You know, we just can't have that. And so in that sense, I, you have to mark me down as one of the people who really are concerned about democracy. And that's one of the things I try to do in my class is to get people to, to recognize that democracy doesn't mean you're going to get your way. It means that, that you're going to be able to fight again uh, in a fair election four years uh, from now. And we have to be content with that. On this episode of Campus Voices, I spoke to Dr. John Hibbing, a political science professor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Josh Schrader. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.